Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Consider This. Please let me know what you think and tell others about us on social media. This podcast was originally broadcast live on Northumberland 89.7 FM. You can hear this show live every Friday at noon. Thank you for downloading this program, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Robert Washburn, and welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. So, what do you think about the Coburg Police Service? Well, now is your chance to tell them. A survey is underway until the end of the month to give your opinion. It will help guide the formation of the next strategic plan for the cops. But besides talking about that, Chief Paul Vandegraaff will talk about some other pressing issues. This includes the suspension of one of his officers. It will also include a recent number of opioid overdoses and deaths in Coburg, along with a report going before the police board about the use of body cameras locally. Here is my interview with the chief. Listen up and tell me what you think. I'm so pleased to have with me today, Coburg Police Chief Paul Vandegraaff. Welcome to Consider This Northumberland. Thanks for having me back, Robert. There's been a lot of stuff going on with the Coburg Police recently, so it's nice to have you on the show to catch up. I want to begin with the suspension of an officer from the Coburg Police Service. Can you tell us what happened? Yeah, absolutely. These are, um, these are, these are trying times for, obviously, the member involved and the rest of the members of our, uh, of our police service. But... Uh, Obviously, public trust and confidence in the Coburg Police Service is paramount. So when these types of things, infrequent as they are, come in front of us, I deal with them very, very seriously. And last week, I became aware of one of our officers who was seconded to the Ontario Police College. By that, I mean we engage in a contract with the college, and he is uh, sent there to teach for a two-year or three-year period. So he was actually... Uh, an employee, if you will, of the Ontario Police College. We were made aware of an allegation that was made uh, requiring an investigation. And it uh, was deemed, I deemed based on the initial information that this matter was serious. And uh, the member was recalled back to Coburg um, and an investigation was immediately commenced. Again, in the essence of wanting to be seen as being completely uh, bias-free and uh, without any perception of us trying to, to mitigate any investigation, we uh, re- reached uh, out to the Toronto Police Service and asked them to conduct the, the, the investigation in this matter. We did have to receive permission from the Ontario Civilian Police Commission, which we did do. So right now, the, the matter is before the Toronto Police Service. They will conduct a very thorough and complete investigation on our behalf. Um, and in completion of that report, they will put their findings to me and then we can go to the next steps based on those findings. Now, some people might be saying to themselves, why is it when a press release is sent out about anybody else in town, there are all kinds of details, including their name and the offenses. Why is this so different? Is it because it's one of your own? Yeah, no. So what we have, the difference between, say, a person who is arrested for impaired driving is we don't have an employee-employer contract with those folks. So when we are dealing with our own employees, uh, we have multiple legislations that we have to adhere to, uh, first and foremost, in relation to um, keeping uh, human resource issues private until such time as it's no longer private. 
So at this particular time, um, we don't release a lot of the details or the, the officer involved until such time as the report is received. If the uh, charges are, or if the investigation deems substantiated, in other words, they prove the allegation to be true. And if we go to a public hearing in, in, a, in a case, then the, all that information will become very public because then it sort of takes it out of the realm of that employee relationship piece. In general terms, is there any way that you can describe to us the kinds of things that uh, involved when an investigation is called for? I mean, you know, is this a minor thing or, you know, yeah. or is it something that's major? How, how do we get a sense of the scope of, of just how serious this is? What would be the range of things that would bring it into this level of investigation? Yeah, so, so let's be clear. Um, in, in our annual report uh, for 2020, uh, the public is very aware that we had four co public complaints, in other words, complaints from the public. And I had seven complaints that I as chief felt something was amiss and I wanted to investigate it. Most times or they, they get investigated internally. We have trained people who can do these investigations. But last year, again, we went out to the Peterborough Police Service for an investigation on a group of staff for some conduct. So um, in general sense, what we look at is, is the conduct something that is sort of a behavioral thing in that the, the member may or should have known better and it's really a process thing? Or is there a stake where public reputation is at hand? And I guess the best way for us to define that is anytime the reputation of the Covert Police Service to which I represent is in jeopardy and the public, in my opinion, have a right to know in a clear, accountable, transparent manner, I as chief make the decision to go external. If I were the chief of a large service, I probably would have a very large, what we call professional standards bureau where I could keep it in house. But in our small mid-sized chiefs uh, services across Ontario, we regularly look to keep, keep it clean, keep it uh, transparent and, 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 and ask our, our uh, brothers in arms, if you will, to, to conduct these investigations. I know when I reached out to Chief Ramner in Toronto, it wasn't a matter of anything but sure, let's get this done for you. So that sense of cooperation was excellent. And it puts it at arm's length. So when I get the report back, if the charges are substantiated, it, it's a clear, it's independent. These are the results of the findings. Then we move forward as we do. And if it comes back as unsubstantiated and somebody were going to suggest that we were, we were just protecting one of our own, I could say I was at, and I, again, I'm not completely hands off. I will not, I don't have any impact on the investigation until the final report is delivered. When we, will we know if this has moved to the next stage or the charges have been laid? Given the nature of the allegations in front of me, I wouldn't uh, anticipate anything before the end of August. Um, just with summer, COVID is still a reality to, for us. Um, so the nature of this is going to take some time and, and you never know how these investigations go. But I'm not anticipating anything before the end of August. Has this had any impact upon the level of service to the community? Has it made you an officer short or anything like that? Uh, no, again, this member was working at the Ontario Police College. So it's, it is exasperated in that um, that's a relationship we, we cherish with the Ontario Police College. And this, this, this isn't a good day, right? So we have an officer who is not at work, who's still being paid. And um, that, that, that is an impact. I would, I'd be lying if I said there wasn't an impact. But as far as our service delivery, we're, we're, we're all, systems, all systems ahead. Moving on, I would like to talk about the rash of drug overdoses that took place at the end of June. Uh, public warning was sent out by the Coburg Police Service, warning that if there was a toxic batch of drugs being distributed within the area, can you tell us what led up to the public warning? 
Yeah, well, as I look at my numbers uh, for the year coming to date, um, we in January and February, we had three overdoses, um, one, one fatality in January, another fatality in February. It kind of creeped up a little bit in March and April. Luckily, there were no fatalities, but we get it up to four and six. In May and June, we went up to nine. And then right at the end of June, the last weekend before Canada Day, we really spiked with over 11 overdoses. These are the ones that we actually get called to. We have to understand that we know there are people within our community who, um, who are drug users who are overdosing, but they're following the harm reduction strategies of using drugs with others. So their, their friends or their family or their whomever is, is administering Narcan and they're not, um, and they're not sort of calling for police to attend. So these are alarming and we, we do believe it was Sort of a tainted batch of, of, of drugs that came through the neighborhood and we and we really stay in connection with our opioid alerts through the health unit to Halliburton Court, the Pine Ridge Health Unit, our local police services. So we know if Oshawa and Durham are struggling with this problem, we know that it's not too long before we'll see the similar problem here in Coburg. So we have our team who pays attention to this and, and we, we work together. And again, a lot of people will say, Chief, why would you put that out? Why don't you just go arrest all the drug dealers? Okay, it, it's, not, it's not as easy as that. And I always want to stand on, we're never going to arrest ourselves out of this opioid epidemic, recognizing that some people who are using drugs are, are really sick, people struggling with addiction, struggling with mental health issues. And we, yeah, yeah, it's against the law, but we have to be compassionate as well and empathetic. Um, so we focus our attention at those who are bringing drugs into our community. And if we can hold them accountable, we'll hold those accountable. But we are luckily with the Northumberland County and the new community safety well-being plan. It is no secret that addictions hit one of the top four issues to be addressed. So now we have to very strongly as a coordinated effort move to a very robust harm reduction strategy. And we have to do it tomorrow. We, we, we can't talk about this in the third quarter or next year. No, this, this harm reduction strategy has to happen, has to happen now. There have been a number of news reports over the period of the pandemic saying that there was a rise in the use of illegal drugs and in particular an increase in the use of opioids. We've also witnessed a rise in deaths and some even within our region. How would you characterize the situation in regards to opioid use currently in our region beyond the statistics that you've already shared with us? Uh, yeah, the, the opioid crisis, we lost sight of it. Um, I'm not gonna say we, but as a, but as a greater community, you talk about Ontario, we all focus on COVID and oh my God, and lockdowns and should it be lockdown, should it not be locked down? And we really lost track that the opioid crisis didn't go anywhere. Uh, it, it was just lost in the news. Um, and it is not, it is not lost amongst service providers and amongst our MHART team around the hospital, the front the frontline staff, the paramedics who are and the firefighters who are responding to these overdoses alongside of our officers. Uh, the opioid crisis is alive, it's alive, alive and well, unfortunately. We, we, we gotta move forward with a collaborative harm reduction strategy. We gotta talk about uh, safe needle exchanges. We gotta talk about needle drop-off. We've gotta talk about safe drug use because this issue isn't, there's no switch to this issue. So we have to confront it, accept it, and, and start moving people from, from crisis to, to some form of road of success. So um, for us, it's, 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 a, it's a daily struggle. 
We talked about the opioid crisis in past interviews. In fact, going back to 2019 and 2018, you and I have talked about this issue in our community, and you've made the same urgings in each of those interviews. We've got to get going. We've got to get going on this issue. What is going to be the thing that's going to change coming out of the pandemic that's going to make a difference in dealing with this opioid crisis within our area? Locally, the community safety well-being plan that was legislated uh, by the um, by the province through the Police Services Act, and this is where and I was fortunate enough to be asked to sit to represent policing services, um, but that brought everybody together. There, it's on the, the county's website. That plan speaks to a coordinated effort. There is no excuse for the lower tier municipalities to turn a blind eye to this. Uh, all of the lower tier municipalities have said. We're in on the community safety well-being plan. We've given it to the upper tier of the county to, to, to lead part of its addictions. And it now comes time where we have to start putting places, um, it, it pieces into place. And I, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about, when you talk about harm reduction, we have to start talking about the decriminalization um, conversation that's happening. And, and quite frankly, um, the Canadian Association of Chiefs of Police published a very detailed report a year ago. It's hard, it's sad to say, but a year ago, talking about the decriminalization of simple possession. Um, and that report also talked about public safety and policing and calling for the Ministry of Health to do something about this. So the call is local, but the call is also provincial into really recognizing a better way forward. And um, I think we're at a good time here. I think there are some small some victories that we can, can be had here from learning lessons from Peterborough. They're not far away from us and they've, they've made some pretty tremendous uh, success in, in addressing um, fatalities and the tragedy around it. Um, it's still ever present, but still we're addressing the tragedies that exist. I'd like to move on again and, and talk about something else that's been on your plate, and that is uh, the next meeting of the Police Service Board, uh, a report on the use of body cameras is coming forward. About a year ago, you did a survey on this topic, and I spoke to the chair of the board, Dean Pepper, about it at that time. Where are we within that process? Yeah, so um, we, we are really, and I'm really proud of this project in that um, it was a year ago, almost to this day that we, we got our survey, we brought forward some survey results and the board received the information. And from that, they asked for a more robust uh, report, very thorough, robust report that was tasked back to me. And given just, just the list of priorities, I promised to have that before the board um, no later than a year. So that would have been uh, in August of this year. Um, at the same time, the province, the, the Privacy Commissioner of Ontario actually asked that any police service that wasn't already in the process of rolling out a body-worn camera project just to hold off until the best practices, guidelines, and roadmap was, was released. Um, it seemed to drag on. They promised it at the end of the first quarter. So I kind of said to our team, and luckily uh, Inspector Jeff Shields, who's retiring at the end of this month, um, I was able to position him to, to finalize this report and grab funding and different different source to that thing, not grab funding, grab costs associated to it. And we were very proud that we're going to be coming forward on July 20th with our very robust uh, report. Um, and I did meet with the chair and um, the uh, community consultation is foremost. There was some concern at our board level that although we had about 300 or so whatever surveys that were completed, uh, they, they felt that that was a bit low numbers wise, although the percentages were overwhelmingly in support. So we're going to create an opportunity. We, uh, so my recommendation, I don't know which way the board will go, but my recommendation to the board will be to receive the report in July and to um, 
give another month's opportunity for consultation from the community and make a final decision in August. Uh, and coincidentally, uh, two days ago, the Privacy Commissioner did release their roadmap um, for uh, best practices for police services with body-worn cameras. And much of what is in our report is echoed in the Privacy Commissioner's report. Uh, there's a couple issues around pilot projects that we're not gonna take their best practice, we're gonna move forward ahead differently on. Um, and I don't, I don't feel that there is necessary need for a, uh, a pilot. Um, and luckily, uh, St. Thomas uh, Police Service, which is a like-size service and a like-size community, they did complete a pilot and we were able to send frontline officers and my crime analysts to the um, St. Thomas and work with their folk for a day to really get the nuts and bolts. And we're gonna present some of their findings on July 20th. And, and it was really remarkable in that I sent uh, two officers. Uh, one was a champion, wanted body-worn cameras. Another officer was, was uh, not necessarily in favor of body-worn cameras. And they both came back recognizing that there is a path forward should the board decide this. So what does the report say? Is it recommending the use of body-worn cameras? Uh, the recommendation is that this is the report that's being considered by the board and there, there's, there's lots of factors the board have to take in place. So I'm not making a recommendation in itself. Uh, the obvious question should be, Chief, where do you stand on this? So uh, it's very clear. We are in the position of talking about body-worn cameras because of criminal activity in the United States by police officers against uh, citizens. And that just bled into, um, bled into Ontario and, uh, and asked, these, uh, asked these questions around accountability. Um, I, just earlier in this interview, I spoke about the accountability issue. I, I truly believe, uh, but our service is not perfect. I'm not a perfect chief, but we, but we are very transparent and accountable about everything we do. And I stand in front of anybody. And I've said to you before that I, it's easy as chief to stand here and, and receive the accolades for the great work of the police service. But I'll also stand as chief in the case of a suspended officer and say, this is, this is what we're dealing with. So if we're going to say we're going to get body worn cameras because we're going to increase the accountability of the covert police service, then I don't think it's a good idea because I don't think there's an issue there. And I don't think the expense justifies that. If you're talking about best evidence, if you're capturing best evidence at a crime and the body worn camera project will also include onboard videos and vehicles. So it's impaired driving and that kind of thing. If we're talking about best evidence and we're talking about true real-time um, evidence about misconduct and simplifying misconduct and clearing misconduct, then at the end of the day, it, that's the innovative strategy that needs to be followed. And it is the best practice for policing. And that's why there's a guideline and a guidebook by the Privacy Commission of Ontario. Um, I've said earlier, if we play this interview back 10 years from now, people will laugh that we're having this conversation, even considering it. I think it'll just be, it'll be natural. Um, I've been policing long enough to know that we had the same debate about semi-automatic revolvers when we went from the 38s to the to the 40 cals and and now it's like what well, nobody would even think about giving a police officer a, a six a six shot 38 caliber uh, gun um so I, I think we're at a pivotal time in, in in this i think there's a need and a desire for the community to see body-worn cameras because it adds a layer of perception of transparency and what you know what they say about perception being reality so Overall, I think it's a good project. I think there's a lot of parameters that have to be put in place and, uh, and that there's still a lot of work to be done. And the, the price tag is expensive. Like this, we, we will not, uh, when you talk about hours of video storage that's required and the amount of data that needs to be saved and for how long it needs to be saved, let alone the hardware and the connectivity issues, there's a lot of money attached to this and it's a big ticket item. And at the end of the day, not only will the board be making a decision, um, council ultimately approves the police services board's budget. 
So council will, will, have, will have some say as to whether the, just, the, the means justify the ends. But at the end of the day, I, I think body-worn cameras are something that's going to be an everyday piece of equipment for police. You drew an important distinction in the middle of all of that that I, I want to come back to a little bit to, to clarify. You talked about it being a tool for accountability, but you also talked about it being an evidential uh, tool that, to collect evidence and if charges were going to be laid or, or et cetera. I want to just go back and talk about that because it would seem to me that if you, you're wearing these, people might not make, make that kind of distinction. They may still think that it's it's really about accountability and you know protecting us from you know you cops beating us up or you know being racist and, and that kind of thing. How do you get that message out to the to uh, everyday citizens so that they understand how you're seeing it and and not necessarily just uh, absorbing what we see south of the border and, and, and the kinds of debates that are going on down there and thinking that's reflective of what's going on at the Coburg Police Service. So again, um, very clearly, the evidentiary piece is, 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 is it's the best evidence rule. So if, you, if our officers are, are going to a call and there's a, something happening and they have the body-worn camera on it and captures, captures an interaction between two people well that's evidence that's the truth there's no there's no he said she said and and that will assist victims in crime that will make victims of crime less important in the justice system in the sense of testifying and and having their their version of events picked apart because we'll have a camera we'll have a, a video depiction of that um, the perception piece is is really important i know for a fact that policing in ontario needs to grow I, we, I've said it before that there are systemic issues within our organizations across the country that need to be better. Um, and for a lot of people, my words as chief are hollow. And the only way they'll see us moving forward is through this, this other lens and pardon the pun of a, of a body-worn camera. Um, and for that group of people, um, I think it's important. And if that's what they really feel, again, I go back to of all of the complaints we received less than one quarter of 1% of all of the interactions of all of our police officers in kind of covert resulted in a written complaint from the community. Um, yet, I, and I go, my members must not be very happy about this, but I doubled the amount of internal transparency, accountability investigations. Um, I, I, I just don't see it. But at the end of the day, um, a lot of people will feel more comfortable knowing that their interactions with a police officer is being recorded. On the other side of that coin, to confuse this for you, there will be a lot of times where, like for instance, today I will go for a walk down King Street. I had at least 13 conversations with people that were critical and that one person asked me about a, uh, an overdose death of a family member in another community. Would they have had that off the cuff conversation with the chief if I had a video camera on? My answer is I don't think they would have. So we are going to be really clear about when the camera will be on and when the camera will be off so that my officers can have those informal interactions with people in a very positive space. We're going to recognize going into the hospital isn't a good idea with the camera on because of patient information. So it is a fine line. Um, it, is, uh, it is definitely a decision. Um, and, and again, people will say there's not an accountability issue here, Chief. Well, for some people there are. There always will be. And this is the only method for Recently, the Ontario government announced a second round of grants for CCTV cameras. The police board was also investigating reinstalling cameras in Coburg. What's the status of that project? Because I know it was related around the same time as you were talking about the body-worn cameras. 
Yep. So we were we were uh, successful in receiving the first round of grants for um, that project, and we're just in the final stages of nailing all the pieces down. All of the RFPs and tenders have been received, and cameras are being purchased. We're going through some of the technology pieces, and you'll start to see cameras installed in the next three or four weeks for sure. Uh, there is a new grant uh, just announced two days ago for the CCTV cameras. Um, we probably will, we will not be applying for that grant and uh, we were successful the last time and typically if you got the grant the last time you're not going to get it the first time and we have enough in front of us with just getting this current project out, out, out of the gate. So we'll, um, we'll be passing on this current, uh, this current process, but we do know this is a multi-year multi project. So there an opportunity will come up in the next, uh, next couple of years for us to reapply for something to that effect. But we feel we were very, treated very well by the province of Ontario with that grant and our local partners. And we need to see that project finalized before I go back to the government for more money. I just don't feel that's very ethical. How many cameras will you be installing and where will you be putting them? Uh, some of them will be very static and that they'll be current, they'll be set up and we will be providing a list of uh, cameras. So the first set of cameras will be put up by the beach um, and then other cameras will be mobile. So we'll be moving them where, where crime happens. So there is some mobility. So the first set of cameras that go up will be about six cameras are going to be in our high, high areas down by the beach because we intend to get them up as the summer kind of uh, it wraps up here when it's hard to say we're wrapping up but we already it's july um and we know with the announcement today that the province is moving to stage three um next friday i wouldn't be surprised if uh council decides to open the beach on the 26th of uh, july i think the next time they're convening to discuss that so having an extra set of eyes down there at the beach to assist with uh, vulnerable people who may be lost or children will be a great idea with the pandemic winding towards some kind of uh, next stage and and I don't want to say a conclusion but certainly um, not in the same intense way that it has been in the past with the lockdowns how is that impacting the Coburg police service what changes are taking place for you guys uh, well this is a great this is this is great news for everybody um, in the sense that uh, for those who know me know that I like to be very visible and in the public and uh, if I never have to do another Zoom call or another Teams call, I'd be a happy guy. I think it's a new reality though, but um, we're gonna really get back into our engagement pieces. We're gonna get, uh, we're really looking forward to um, getting back into the schools and, and where a lot of communities are struggling with police officers in the schools. During the pandemic, we heard from the schools in town, St. Mary's and CCI, that they wanted our officers in the schools and they wanted that presence. My youth advisory council that launched uh, a couple months ago, that, that youth group was telling me that they wanna see the police in the schools. So that's going to be really exciting to get back into the elementary schools and the high school. That's the first, that's going to be right in front of us. A lot of our community engagement pieces, our crime prevention through environmental design, our car seat clinics, just the day-to-day -day stuff. Even our road safety initiatives were curtailed. As chief, again, I understand road safety is near and dear to many people in the community. Um, it, I just, we just didn't feel it was really reasonable when we had stay-at-home orders that our officers were doing proactive traffic stops looking for infractions. Um, and putting people at risk. So um, we'll be getting back into those, uh, those initiatives, which is, which is exciting. Uh, public meetings, town halls, uh, just, just prior to this, again, the first two years of my chief uh, role as chief have been pretty much occupied by COVID. Um, so just before COVID, I had an amazing opportunity to meet with so many people at the Dutch oven for a coffee with the chief. So uh, to get back and doing those kind of things with our community and with our community consultation survey that's underway right now to be able to push that forward um, we're really looking forward to that our station we soft opened this week 
just trying to um, just trying to work through some of the bugs before the, some of the other town hall buildings and different things open up. So luckily, one of our great partners in the Minicio Essential uh, Station. So all of the people coming to the police station, they go to the the, 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 the kiosk, if you will. It uh, takes their temperature, asks them the standard COVID questions. We ask them to put their name and a contact number in just from contact tracing perspectives. And then we provide that face-to-face -face service. And um, should there be anything at a further outbreak, we will be able to contact those people, just like you do when you go to a restaurant or a patio. So we're really looking for that. Uh, Team Eagle and Campbellford were so amazing in the new technology around the UVC scanners. And a lot of these things came through the police accelerator. Um, so yeah, we're gonna keep moving through, but we're really looking forward to in September, getting back into the schools with the kids. That's gonna be a lot of fun for us and more of our outreach opportunities and having our board meetings public again. So now with announcements uh, today, um, we have now be able to go from a virtual board meeting on July 20th to an in-person one, especially around the body worn camera project. It'll be really exciting to have some public come out and, and hear the presentation, ask some questions uh, and have that face-to-face -face interaction. On that note, then the Coburg Police Service is currently doing a, a survey as part of a strategic planning process. Can you tell us what this is about and how can residents participate? Yeah, absolutely. So the Police Services Act of Ontario in its former rendition and its newest rendition does make it a requirement that the Police Services Board have a strategic plan and uh, they can be three or four year plans. So we're just completing our, our current plan. So the board did pass a motion in April. They formed a committee, so the board is is driving a very, very good uh, piece. So the first piece that we're underway is with our survey. Survey, you can just go on our website. Uh, there's lots of uh, click, click, clicks there. You can, there's the scan, the QRL code you can scan. Uh, the DBI has been really good about uh, pushing this out and there's been a lot of uptake uh, already. Our Youth Advisory Council have been out there trying to get that youth demographic uh, uh, filling out a survey, it's not something that 14 to 18 year olds really want to sit down and spend 15 minutes answering a, a policing survey, but uh, the Youth Advisory Council uh, promised me they're going to do their best to get as many people to put it in. So that's our first one, and we're going to get a bunch of data hopefully by the end of July, and then we're going to start to rip that data apart. I fully expect there to be some high level areas of concern that they would like us to focus on or they're not content with the way we're addressing certain issues. So what we, we, what we intend to do is bring that high level problem to a focus group um, with maybe, maybe service providers, maybe uh, mental health workers or students or seniors, whatever the particular demographic is, um, bring them into a focus group and have them rip apart that problem a little bit in more detail so that when we roll out our plan, we can actually have very specific measurables. And that really is the board's marching orders for the chief of police. And now once that plan is created and those measurements are there, um, that's, the, that's the what the board expects. And the chief's job is, how are we going to get this done? And then I, I as chief will work with community partners and internally and address the issues that they, our community sees as being foremost in their mind. Chief, I want to thank you so much for talking to me today. No problem. Thanks again, Robert. That was Coburg Police Chief Paul Vandegraaff. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me, and I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life and Northumberland County. So please tune in. If you would like to listen or share this or any podcast, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. There you will find past podcasts, news, and other information about life and politics in Northumberland County. 
or you can go to the radio station's website at northumberland897.ca. I'm Robert Washburn. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in, and I hope over the week you will continue to consider this. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Consider This. If you have any comments or would like to suggest a story, please contact me at considerthisnorthumberland at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook at Consider This. If you enjoyed this podcast or are looking for more news and information about Northumberland County, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. That's consider-this.ca. And don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening and stay tuned for more from Consider This.